Well, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name's Rob Campbell. I'm going to be serving as the interim pastor here at Four Points Church. And we are part of uh, a greater body of Christ. And so one of the things we're in right now is a series from the Old Testament, a sister church of ours, the Five Points Church in Easley. Pastor Dean Herman has been uh, preparing and bringing this series from dust to glory today. Oh, man. Breathe in and breathe out because we're going to look at the book of Job. Let's check out what he has in store for us. Open your Bible to the book of Job. And anytime we start a brand new book, we always answer four questions about that book. Let's jump into those four questions. Number one, who was it written by? Absolutely, positively, no clue. If you say you know who wrote the book of Job, then you are a much smarter person than anybody else. Because no history books, no theology, we don't know, okay? It's unknown. Number two, when was it written? That's one of the reasons. Or who's it written to? Just like every book in the Bible, who's it written to? But a lot of times it's written to a very specific individual. This is written to God's people. All right. When was it written? Well, that's one of the reasons we don't know who it was written to. Because it was written all the way back at the time of the patriarchs, during, during Abraham, during, during those days. Okay. And then number four is what's the purpose? It's the willingness to follow God regardless. I am willing to follow God regardless of what happens in my life. Now, the book of Job has 42 chapters. I cannot do any book that has that many chapters justice in a 30-minute time. So what I'm going to do is just help you understand what's going on and help, hope that you'll go back and read it this week. The book of Job is broke into conversations, okay? There's five different conversations, conversations between different people. And so when you understand who is talking and the point of what they're talking about, then you go back and read it, and then it'll all begin to make sense. So take your Bibles. Let's jump right in to the book of Job. Go to Job chapter 1, verse 1. Job chapter 1, verse 1. How many have their Bibles open to the book of Job? Look at that, look at that. Good job. All right. There was a man in the land of Uz. Where's Uz? Glad you asked. Here we go. Here's a map. Right here is where we've been studying for so long. This is where the Dead Sea would have been in Jerusalem and uh, the Sea of, sea of Galilee. And, and then when the Babylonians came in, in uh, I probably ought to start. I ain't got time. 586, they took them over here into Babylonia. And we believe the Garden of Eden, many would say right here. Some would have said up here, but I, it's right down here. And out to the east side of the Babylon, of the, Eden, the Garden of Eden, was us. So it's a real place. Yes. Is Job a real book? Yes. Is it just a made-up story? No. Some people will try to tell you that. But my question is, who gets to decide what's made up and who's not made up in here? So if God put it in here, should we believe it? Right back to it. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, I have made it a practice to say, I don't know how many times during these 16 years, the Bible's very clear. It says throughout the page of Scripture, if you will do this, come on, church, I'll do this for you. But if you don't and you decide to do this, this is what will happen. Look what happens. Who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. 
He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. What's it mean by the greatest of all the people here? Richest. This is the Bill Gates of Job's day. Okay, this man had everything. He had the big house, he had the hot smoking wife, he had the seven sons, the three daughters, he had the camels, he had the goats, he had the sheep, he had the servants, he he had it all. Well, the Bible tells us why. Why did God bless him in such a great way? Because he was a blameless and righteous man. He decided to follow God when nobody else would. And God blessed his life for it. Let's go to verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, that's heavenly beings, angels, sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, it sounds very much like we're in the throne room of God again. And we've been in the throne room of God numerous times as we've walked through the pages of Scripture. Do you remember when Isaiah was taking the throne room of God? And an angel took a hot coal and put it on his lips. Daniel was taking the throne room of God, and that's where he saw the beginning of time, where he was living, and the future. That's why Isaiah would give us the entire book, the entire history laid out for us. Do you remember when John who wrote the book of Revelation, was taken to the throne room of God, and God showed him, and he wrote the book. So we're back in that same throne room again, it sounds like. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. Now, This isn't the first time that we know Satan has been walking around the earth causing complete complete total havoc. I've told you this before. I'm convinced that in Genesis 1, 1 through 3, that is where Satan was kicked out of heaven. It's where the earth was void, formless, dark, perfect place for him to be kicked out. And soon as man was created, what did Satan do to man? Started causing havoc, started lying. And we've seen him move through the pages of Scripture. Here we have it again. But we also see it in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 5 says this, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Talking to us. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. This is what he does. This isn't something new. Resist him firm in your faith. How do you get firm in your faith? Been in the Word. How do you get firm in your relationship with anybody? Spending time with them. Spend time with him and get firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, where? Throughout the world. So, in other words, are there people who are being, just having havoc caused in their life because of Satan throughout the world? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And so many times people say, Pastor, you don't understand what the devil's doing. Really? He's doing it where? throughout the world. So now, I told you there's five conversations. Let's jump right into those conversations. Number one, the conversation that we see going on right now between God and Satan. The conversation going on between God and Satan. Satan has come into the throne room of God. God asked him, where you been? You've been roaming the earth. Let's pick up that conversation, verse eight. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant, my servant Job? Now, this is going to mess with some of your all's theology. Did you notice that God served up Job? What has Job done wrong? Uh, Lived a blameless, righteous life for God. Well, then why would God serve him up? Maybe, maybe, maybe at some point, you're going to begin to understand that your salvation is not about you, but it's about him using you to reach them. 
somewhere throughout every single book, I say this, and maybe somewhere you're going to get all of this, oh, God's so lucky that I'm one of his, out of your brain and realize you're lucky you're one of his. Now use what he gave you to go change the world. The reason that God grabbed Job, watch. And the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. I wonder, I'm just thinking out loud, I wonder, could God take you right now and serve you up? And would you remain true to him? Or would you turn your back as soon as the little slightest bit of trouble come? Who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, well, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? How many times have you heard me say, if you will follow God, if you will love God, if you'll be used by God, he'll put a hedge of protection around you. You know, I've said, I've, how many of you ever heard me say that? Okay, I was going to say, I've said, I hope you've heard it. When people, I've had people try to tell me, that's not true. God doesn't protect, okay. Then if that's not true, how is Satan standing in the throne room of God and said, oh, 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 let me tell you why you say, why don't you go after Job? You've put a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him. That's right. Go ahead. Look at Facebook, watch Netflix, don't spend time with God. See the protection it gives you. See what protection it gives you. Take your money and count it and hoard it. See what protection your money will give you. And when all hell breaks loose in the world and in your city and in your life, let me tell you who you better be looking for protection. It's a little late when everything's broke loose. I want the protection now. You with me, church? God takes Job, a man he's put a wall of protection around him and says, Satan, won't you try this one? Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Man, I can't even get to him the way you've protected him. You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch him and all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Let me get to him. You think this Job guy is righteous? You let me get to him. I'll show you how righteous this is, how righteous he is. He'll curse you to your face. Look how God responds. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So in other words, don't you touch my man, Job. But everything that he has is yours. Well, in the following verses, Job 1, 13 through 19, Satan takes everything. He takes his seven sons, he takes his three daughters, he takes his houses, he takes his, his, his camels, his goats, his sheep, he takes his servants, he takes everything. Come on, church, let me make this real for you. You're at work one day and you get a phone call, and in the phone call it says a drunk driver just hit your wife and three kids and they all died on impact. Then somebody else comes running into your office and they said, we are so sorry, but we just found out the fireman at your house and your house just burnt to the ground. Then somebody else comes running in immediately after and says, we are so sorry, but someone hacked your identity and you just lost every dime you have to your name. You have nothing to you. You're going to worship God or you're going to curse God? You see, we all about God giving to us and us worshiping when he gives to us, but what you do when God takes away? You going to curse him? A lot of people say all the time, oh, I would, I'd worship him. Really? Where you been for the last year in church? Where you been talking about him? Where you been serving him? Where you been giving to him? You mean to tell me he could take everything you'd worship him, but you won't worship him when you have everything? Come on, man, really? You think you're kidding God? He took everything. Go to verse 20. 
Now, this is the cool part. Job doesn't know the end of the story. When you know the end of the story, if you knew, listen, this is so good. If you knew exactly what God would do for you at the end, wouldn't it make you live more for him? What you waiting on? What you waiting on? I know how the story ends. What you waiting on? Job didn't know the end of the story. He's lost everything. Verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshiped. Are you kidding me? He's lost everything. And he worships. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And I've heard people say, and even asked me during some tragedies in their life, how could a loving God do this to someone that he loves? Guys, you got the wrong question. The question that should be asked is, how could someone claim to love God after God gave you his son, gave you your salvation, and yet you refuse to read, you refuse to give, you refuse to serve, you refuse to talk about him? Why don't you want to ask that question? No, what we want to ask is, how could a loving God do that to someone he loves? Could it be? Because you're a child of God to be used by God. He's not a genie lamp for you to do nothing but give you health, wealth, and prosperity. Just thinking out loud. Go to Job 2, verse 4. Satan's back in front of God. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. Okay, okay. So you think if you take his health, then he'll curse me. Okay, he's yours. Just don't kill him. After what Satan did to him, I'd rather die. Look at verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. He is sitting at a fire, taking a piece of pottery, scraping the sores off of his body. Probably after having to attend the funerals of his seven kids, seven sons and three daughters, realizing he doesn't have the money to go to a doctor. You going to praise God through all of that? Come on, church, let's get to, please, let's just be honest. We can't get you to praise him in the house of God. You stand there and look like you're miserable while you're here. But you're going to praise him when he takes everything from you? Guys, is that not a fair question? If you can't learn to praise him here when everything's great, how are you going to praise him when everything goes straight to pot? So now there's this conversation between God and Satan going on. Satan's done. He's taking everything, including his health. Number two, now we have a conversation between Job and his wife. Job and his wife. Now, I've told this story before, but it bears repeating for where we are. I've been married to my hot-smoking wife, Debbie, sitting right there for 41 years this past Monday. And about 20 years ago, I asked her, Deb, why do you love me? And guys, I was ready for your devilish handsome looks, (laughs) your love-making skills, you know, because... 
And she pondered, and I thought, this is going to be good. we good. Security. The way you take care of me and the kids. And I thought, that's not what a man is looking for. But then I also got to thinking, you know, people ask me, Pastor, what do you think? I give them my opinion, then they get mad because I gave my opinion. All she did was give her opinion. But do you know why she said security? Because that's the way a woman's wound up. They want a man who's going to secure them, make them feel safe, make them take, have them take care of them physically, financially, spiritually, emotionally, and take care of their kids. Put yourself in the sandals of Job's wife. She's lost all of it. All of it. She's lost her house. She's lost her kids. She's lost her money. She's lost everything. So she goes to Job and says, verse 9, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Men, you need to be the spiritual leaders of your home because there are times when women can't handle the things that you can because that's the God created us to be. And if Job would have said, okay, you're right, honey, up yours, God, imagine the outcome of the story. But look what he said. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall Listen, listen, please listen. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So you mean to tell me that she wanted to turn her back on God because she lost everything? Yeah. Just like so many of you. Deb lost her mom this past couple weeks. I've heard so many people who lose a mom or a dad say, God doesn't understand. Nobody understands. Nobody understands. I'm like, really? So nobody's ever lost a mom or dad before except you. Okay, you do know that's called life. It's called life. Do we mourn them? Do we miss them? Of course. But do we quit worshiping God and quit going to church for years because you lost your mom? Come on, church. We're just being real, right? And for somewhere along the line, religious people want to say, well, how could God do that to a loving person? Really? Great analogy. This past Tuesday night, Deb had all of our family over for dinner. We have dinner, and we get done with dinner, and, 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 and a couple of my grandsons said, Big Daddy, let's get in the hot tub. Said, okay, great. I love getting in the hot tub. Grayson had a pair of shorts on, as a 12-year-old should. But my 2-year-old, he thinks that hot tub truly is his Olympic swimming pool. He gets up on the edge, butt naked, and just boom, bam, falls in my arms. Again, again, again. And we do it over and over and over. Well, we've been sitting about 30 minutes, and Grayson, the older one, says, Big Dad, I need to get out and pee. I'm like, thank you for getting out. You know, don't, you're not doing it here. Well, Weston stands over in the corner, and he said, Big Day, pee pee. I said, Weston Dean Herman, do not pee in my hot tub. You do not do that. He didn't smile, nothing. He just stood there. 10 seconds later, Big Daddy. Yes, sir. It was really Big Doll. Big Doll. I said, yes, sir. Poo-poo. <laughs> Weston Dean Herman, you had best not. Thing floated right on up to the top. <laughs> About yay long, yay. I'm thinking, how could that come out of a two-year-old? So now all I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if it gets in those jets, it's going to pump that stuff out everywhere. <laughs> it sinks. I'm like, no! Found the jet button, cut it off. There she was, laying right on the bottom. Well, when you're mad at your kids, you holler in the middle, Andrew Dean Herman, come here. What? I said, look what your son did. 
Well, Lauren's going, oh, that's so gross. I'm like, you're not the one in here. <laughs> so they ran, they got a cup, and I scooped it out. I handed it to him. I looked toward Weston. Weston, what did you do? He's, now he's smiling. Poo-poo. <laughs> All right. Is Weston Dean Herman mad and cursing my life because he poo-pooed? No. He adores his big daddy. Then why did he do it? Watch this. He just had a huge meal. Then we put him in a 100-degree hot tub with no diaper. Take your kid, feed him a huge meal, put him in a 100-degree hot tub for 30 minutes and see what they do. They're going to poop all over you. Did he do it because he was mad at me? No. It's called, listen, listen, it's called life. So when you have poo happen in your life, how do you look at a God and say, I can't believe you're doing this? It's called life. How many of you ever had life poo all over you before? Did you walk around going, nobody understands. I can't believe God did this to me. Why did God do this? It's called life. And did you ever think that God might be using you to see how you respond for others to see? Because if you're going to respond just like everybody else, what's the point of giving your life to Christ? What if I'd taken Weston, taking him out and throwing him up against the wall? Don't you poo-poo in the hot tub. That would have looked like a lot of church people. So what did I do? I stayed in the hot tub 20 more minutes with him. Now, no, no, I didn't. That's not true. I did kick him out. That's called the consequences of sin. But I still love the boy, all right? Like, he's going to stay in here and put a diaper on the boy. Moral of the story, you're going to get pooed on by a loving God who's not mad at you. He's just trying to use you. Come on, church. That's a good analogy right there. It's too good. I agree. For the three that clap, thank you. Every now and then, you got to get pooed on. Here we go. Keep going. Now, anytime we lose a loved one, especially seven sons and three daughters, our friends are going to come and console us. Chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz from the Timonite, Bilidad from the Shuite, and Zophar from the Naahite. They made an appointment together to come show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They didn't even recognize him. He is so sore and scraped, they can't even recognize him. They did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word. You know, sometimes the greatest thing you can do for someone is just be there. For they saw that his suffering was very great. Number, number three, we had a conversation between Satan and God. Then we saw the converse, conversation between Job and his wife. Now we see the conversation between Job and his three friends. Now, chapters 24 through 22, the biggest part of the book, consist of this dialogue. Job would, that they would just come after Job. And they're not just like church people. This is what they said. You know, there's sin in your life, and that's the only reason this is happening. And until you repent, the wrath of God will not relinquish off your life. So one of them would say it. Then he'd come back, Job would come back and say, that's not true. There's not sin in my life. I've done nothing wrong. I'm a blameless, righteous man. What are you talking about? The next one, start hammering, start hammering. Guys, can I just be real honest with you? Something we can really learn from this. You better be careful who your friends are. 
You better be careful who you listen to as they're speaking into your life because a lot of people with very good meaning and very good intentions who think they know what God is trying to tell you but goes against the word of God will try to tell you what God's saying. Amen. Proverbs 12, 26 says it this way. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, the righteous one. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. So a righteous person can be led astray by the stupidity of somebody who thinks they're God. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. You better be careful who you're listening to, church. And I promise you, TV is not the place to listen. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says it this way, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. This past, last night, one of our high schools had a prom. And when I found out, I stopped right there what I was doing. Father God, please don't let these students who claim to be children of God lose their heads, lose their witness, lose their virginity, lose everything they have over a night. Why? Because bad company can corrupt good morals. You better be careful who you hang around. Now, should we hang around lost people? Yes. Should they be a part of our inner circle that helps shape and form our life? No. Now, chapters 4 through 5, and then 8, and then 11, is just these friends laying into him. I mean, go, go read them. They're just laying into him, laying into him. And then you make your way all the way to chapter 23. And in chapter three, 23 through 31, Job's tired of it. He's, just, he's tired of it, and he just starts pleading his case before God. Not to his friends, but before God. Now, this isn't one of our conversations because God doesn't ever speak. It's all Job doing all the speaking. A lot, like, a lot resembles a lot of our prayer lives. It's just you speaking and God never getting a chance to speak. It's just you rubbing the gene lamp asking God to give you what you want. Job is pleading his case. Go to Job 23. Let's look at verse 1. Now, remember, Job doesn't know the end of the story. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint is bitter. My, heavy is, my hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Do you know where find him is? Who that is? It's God. Oh, that I might know where I find him, that I might come even to his seat. God, if you'd let me into your throne room and I could plead my case, I could prove to you that I'm innocent, that I'm righteous, that I don't deserve this. Prayer life ever look like that? I don't deserve this, God. You're right. You deserve hell. Couldn't agree more. You deserve a ticket straight to hell. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Verse 5, I would know what he would answer me. Are you kidding, Job? I'll go before him and I will stand before him and he will answer me. God, you will give me the answer I want. Whew. Sounds like so many church people. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No. He would pay attention to me. He will listen to me. Listen to what he's saying. Verse 7, there an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Whoo! Job, you better be careful, old boy. You better be careful what you're saying. Now, Job didn't doubt God. He just didn't understand God. And that's where so many of you are. And the reason you don't understand God is because you're not in the word of God and you don't know the will of God. And if you don't know the will of God, then your will is going to take over. And when your will takes over, you're going to stand before a holy God and say, I don't deserve this. 
I deserve the best everything life has to offer. Do you know who you're dealing with, God? Better be careful. We saw a conversation between Satan and God. Then we saw Job and his wife and Job and his friends. Then we had a one-sided conversation, just Job going before God. Then number four, we see another friend come up, Elihu. And he begins to have this conversation. And he's the only one starting to make just a little bit of sense. Go to Job chapter 32, verse 1. Job chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men, those were Job's friends, ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, the son of Bacharel, the son of the Buzite of the family of Ram, burned with anger. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends. I can't believe you guys are doing this. You keep saying that there's sin in his life. How do you, you don't even know. And then he's looking at Job saying, and you're trying to have this defense with God, Job. Who do you think you are? He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in wrong. Now he waited to speak to Job because they were older than he. And when Elihu saw that no one would answer in the mouth of the, these three men, he burned with anger. And for the next four chapters, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, all you see <coughs> excuse me, is his rebuke. He's just laying into them, all of them, the three friends and into Job. And when he gets done, number five, God decides to speak. You need to know the first 37 chapters of the book so that you understand 38 through. Because this is where the meat is. This is where God says, enough. I've heard enough. It's time for me to speak. Job, it's time for you to shut up and listen and understand who I am. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words? Come on, church. By words, say it with me. Job, you're speaking out the wrong end, old boy. You don't know what you're saying. Dress for action like a man. You want to talk like a man? Dress up like a man. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Woo! Job, where were you? When I created the earth. Where were you, old boy? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Can you not hear God? Obviously you must know everything because you're coming before a holy God, a sovereign God, an all-knowing God, demanding that I come to you and tell you why there's been problems in your life. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job, where were you when all the angels were singing? Job, have you got some angels following you? Because it sure does sound like you think you're a God. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb when I made clouds its garment 
a thick darkness a swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed. I created the earth. I created the day. I created the night. I created the 24-hour day. I created the way it rotates on its axis. Job, do you understand who I am? Do you understand who you're dealing with, Job? God keeps going. Have you commanded this morning since your days begins and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Oh, read the rest of it. Because what you see in 38, 39, 40 is God responding to Job with two speeches. One, okay, Job. I created everything. I created the universe. Surely you must know. Then you see Job kind of back up and go, oh, oh, I don't know. Then Job, then God goes again. Well, the remainder of chapters 30 and 39 is God questioning Job. Then you get to verse 40, chapter 40, and you see Job's response. And then God picks right back up with a second speech. Go to Job 40. This is after God's been hammering the last two, three chapters. Job 40, verse 3, then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. That one verse right there could rock most of your worlds. You are of small account, but yet you think the world revolves around you. You think God created the earth in order to give you nothing but health, wealth, and prosperity instead of understanding God granted you salvation in order for you to glorify him and to reach them. Guys, at some point, you have to start shifting the way we think that God did not create the universe for the universe just to please you, but that God created the universe, he saved you in order for you to save them. Come on, church, is this starting to sink in at all? Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. What's that mean? I'm done. I'm done. I ain't saying nothing else. It's time for me to be quiet, he's saying. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. I'm done, God. I, I, I'm good. And God's like, oh, no, no, no. We're not done yet. No, we're not done yet. Now that I showed you what I created... Now, let me ask you, now that I've created it, can you handle this? Can you deal with the things that I deal with? Go to Job 42, verse 1. We're finishing the book up. Job responds again. Then Job responded, or Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Okay, God, I understand. You're right. I understand I'm dealing, who I'm dealing with. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be throttled. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Come on, church. Come on. How many of us speak out of turn to God? Don't have to raise your hands. And we're speaking because we do not understand. Things I have uttered, what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. So as we finish with this, the question remains. If God took everything from you, would you remain faithful to him? Yeah, pastor, I know. Yes, sir, I sure would. Well, then why don't you remain faithful to him now?
Why don't you start serving him? We got so many of you still, you come sit, leave. You come sit, leave. Why don't you start giving to him? Well, I got to build my kingdom, not his. Really? So are you going to serve him when he takes everything, including your kingdom? Why don't you spend time in God's word every day? Well, I'm so busy. Why are you so busy? Because you're building your kingdom and not his. Why don't you ever talk about him? Well, pastor, well, see, we talk about what we love. Don't say that you'd be willing to serve him if he took everything when you're not willing to serve him when you have everything. Job didn't know the end of the story, and he stood faithful regardless of what God took. I've said it for 16 years, and I'll not stop saying it. God says very clearly, if you will do this, I will do this for you. But if you don't, and you decide to do this, this is exactly what will happen. Job stood faithful. Job refused to turn his back on God regardless. Chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. See, that's what we want. We want the fortunes restored without going through the storm. But church, do you not understand that when you're going through the storm, that it very well may not be about you, but for the people that you're around, that he's wanting people to learn from you as you deal with the storm? Instead of asking God, why am I going through the storm? Why don't we start praying, God, just use me so people see you in me during this storm. God, use me. Now, when I come out of the storm, I can't wait to see how you're going to bless me because I withheld the storm and did exactly as you asked me to do. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Did you check check that? When he did what? Prayed. You see, the very ones that gave him the bad intel is the very ones that he's praying for. That's what the Bible says. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those. So it's like burning, putting heaping coals on their head. And the Lord gave Job, wait, wait, wait. And the Lord gave what? Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters. Where they been? Isn't it amazing when you're going through the storm, people will run from you. But when the blessings start coming, they're running towards you. Then came to him all the brothers and sisters, all who had known him before, and and had heard him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him from the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter, Gemini, and the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the, whatever. And in the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their fathers gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons four generations and Job died an old man and full of days Job didn't know the end of the story and he stood still and righteous the sad thing is we know the end of the story and we still won't stand tall and righteous for him I shared this before as I close but it bears repeating again As many of you know, 2020 was a rough year on Debbie and I and our family physically. Because of my knee hurting so bad, since blown out of Clemson, I finally had to have my knee replaced. Six months later, I had to have my hip replaced because of limping so badly because of the knee. During that time, Jacob was playing a pickup basketball game at Clemson, blew his MCL out, had to have it completely replaced. Then Debbie tripped on Jackson 
our five-year-old grandson, four at the time at Dollywood, split her kneecap completely open. All this is happening just like this. Pastor, what'd you do? Just worship God through it. You know what it's called? A life. Don't get mad at God. You just keep on going. But after Deb had been in, at home for a couple of weeks, we finally went back to the doctor and she told the doctor, my, doc, my knee, my leg is swollen. It's got these red, it just hurts. He said, it's fine. It's just part of you know, the healing process. That night, Deb woke up and said, Dean, you, something's not right. Rushed her to the hospital, the ER right here in Easley. And, and the doctor told me, if you had not brought her, well, first of all, he said she should have died because of the blood clots in her legs and in her lungs. But if you hadn't have brought her here in the next couple of hours, she would have died at your house. Well, I meet with Dr. Paul Jordan, my mentor. You hear me talk about him. We talk about theology. We talk about life. He's, he's basically my pastor in my life and, 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 and my th- theology teacher. I met with him the next day, and I will never forget what he asked me, and it changed something in me. Dean, if you would have lost Debbie, would you have continued to serve God with the same passion and fervor that you do? Guys, when it gets personal, it gets different. So I'm asking you right now, you leave today, and God takes your spouse. God takes your kids. God takes one of your grandsons. He takes your money. You still going to serve him with the same passion and fervor that you are now. Father God, I come to you with a broken heart because this American church wants health, wealth, and prosperity. They don't want a radical love relationship and to be used by you. So God, would you help us to learn from Job to stand for you regardless of the circumstances of our life not because we have to, but because we want to, because of what you've done in our life, because of how you gave us your son. You've gave us grace. You've gave us mercy. You've gave us everything that we have. Now maybe we'd be willing to give you the same. Every eyes closed, every head's bowed. Nobody's looking. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm just gonna pray for you. Pastor, you're talking straight to me. Every eyes closed, every head's bowed. Pastor, you're talking to me. I needed to hear that today because I need to understand that I need to live for God regardless. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and put it right back down? Hands everywhere. Put your hands down, please. Look at me, church. Look at me, hands everywhere. I am begging you as kindly, lovingly, and gently as I can to understand it's not about you. It's about Him. And we have the honor and the grace of being called a child of God. And if you're going to be called a child of God, allow God to use you during the good, the bad, and the ugly. Are we going to love him during the good, turn our back on him during the evil? Man, I hope not. Holy Spirit, please speak to hearts today to love you, serve you for every hand that was raised. God, speak into their hearts. Draw them to you to have a radical love relationship, to love you and serve you regardless. Everybody said? How many of you learned something about the book of Job? Now go home, read it, and put all the pieces of the puzzle together.